0: The tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, scads. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yo. I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth, you can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help it's like, it's like. I wish, I wish, that every time we live and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish That every time we love and it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels feels I wish I had a time machine Wish I had a better rhyming speed Wish that I could speak to giants After climbing up a green stalk that grew from my limonade I wish that I could spread my wings I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah That way I'd hold on to everything And laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things I wish I spoke fluent Spanish Dímelo, dímelo, at least I kinda understand it <laughs> Wish that I could throw the deuce Hello, like heaven Hello cats him and cats so kittens and welcome to
1: episode 51 the of The Debrief I am your host I I Brianna an Drake-Gray And today we are talking about the ride. latest episode of the show it's Bad Faith myself. Podcast yeah, called Woe is life. Me Roe is me. That's right. It's all about Roe v. Wade. I talked to two constitutional law professors about all the implications of the case, including whether the other privacy cases, the right to gay marry, the right to gay sex, the right to contraception, the right to interracial marriage, all of these things are also on the chopping block. Despite Alito's insistence in the draft, leaked opinion that they are not, we weighed in on the establishment clause implications. That is whether or not the constitutional protection a separating church of state, the non-establishment of any given religion is violated by this decision for which there is no real scientific or other justification giving to the given to the fact of the idea that life starts at conception other than vibes, which one could read into as a religious justification. I just saw some pushback against that online. I'd love to discuss and unpack. Of course, there's a lot of other things, as always, going on in the world, and you are more than welcome to bring any of that stuff up. I'm going to start us off with a clip from the episode, and then let's get off to the races.
2: Uh, some religions, both uh, both provocative and real, and or should I say provocative and established, have made the argument that abortion is religiously required. Um, And the satanic temple, in fact, which is not actually a group of people who worship Satan. It's a group of people who believe in separation of church and state and try to push the point. Um, They've actually brought challenges to abortion regulations, saying our religious belief believes this about You know, and they explain their religion and they explain their religious rituals and they try to argue that this law is in violation of it and they've been rejected. Now, maybe that's because they're known to be provocateurs. I also will point out that there are the Jewish faith, right? In the Jewish faith, life does not begin at at, at fertilization. Um, It's rather later. And there are a lot of biblical teachings that make it very clear that before birth, the pregnancy is just considered part of the woman and is treated as such. Um, and there are also teachings that, to the extent it might endanger the woman's life or well-being, the woman's life takes precedent. So I definitely can imagine a Jewish woman bringing a challenge to abortion law, saying that it violates her religious observances. Um, Unfortunately, right, even assuming a court will say, okay, we have to apply some kind of heightened scrutiny to it, right? The same state that's going to ban abortion is going to be a state that thinks that it's murder and that protecting life is a compelling government interest.
1: All right. First up is Henry. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind this evening.
3: Hi, Brie. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me?
1: Loud and clear, Henry.
3: Okay, thank you. Uh, My question for this evening is simply about how did Trump manage to get three justices appointed to the Supreme Court in only four years? I mean, Obama... I I think he got, like, two appointed or – yeah, two, uh, plus his third was uh, filibustered. Why was Justice ACAB not filibustered, do you think?
1: Well, so there's a couple things. David Sirota pointed this out today that Republicans got rid of the filibuster in part to be able to push their nominees through, and Democrats refuse to do the same. They always make the excuse that if we do something tactically, then Republicans are going to do it the second they're in office, but, of course, Republicans do it anyway, and – here we are. The other reason is, I'm sorry, the supreme, supreme selfishness of one Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who mm-hmm. had, was diagnosed, you know, tragically with a very deadly form of cancer while she, while Obama was still president. But by her own admission, she said that she wanted to be replaced by the first woman president. So because of that hubris, uh, the overconfidence that Hillary Clinton, of course, would be president of the United States, it was her turn. She held out, and of course, you know what the consequences of that are. But that is part part of a pattern, a broader pattern of liberal justices not retiring strategically. And I, someone maybe it was at the Intercept they did an analysis of this, looking at you know decades of uh, judges across the federal judiciary and when they retired. And Republicans overwhelmingly. I'm just going to mute me, Henry, just because of the wind. But um, okay, sorry yourself about that. Whenever you have something else to say, no worries, no worries. Um, Republicans strategically retire when Republican uh, Republican appointees strategically retire under Republican presidencies and Democrats don't. They just, you know, die or wait it out. And if I were, I'm recalling this correctly from whatever this was when I read it years ago, Republicans also, you can go on kind of senior status. And if you go on senior status, you ha- you're still a judge, but you have a lighter caseload and the current administration appoints your Replacement. So even if you don't don't fully want to retire, even if you're not fully ready to retire, Republican conservative justices are inclined to go ahead and just strategically go on senior status, get replaced by the current administration and have that confidence they're going to be replaced by the right person. And that is like such an own goal by Democrats. It is negligence of the highest order, but that's how they are. And that's where we are today. Does that answer your question,
3: Henry? Yeah, I think that does mostly answer my question. Uh, I mean, it seems to me like Democrats essentially want to play with one hand tied behind their back, which is confusing because they keep on talking about how they really, really care about all these issues and how it really affects them deeply, and they want to raise money. But when push comes to shove time and time again, there is a disconnect between when they say that they care and when it comes time to do anything in the Senate. And I don't know. I don't really have any deeper point today beyond that. But uh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah,
1: no worries. Look, I'm glad you brought that up. It's the elephant in the room. And I'm really glad to see that if nothing else comes of this, I'm seeing folks that I don't really identify as being especially – you know, progressive or lefty people who at best were kind of sympathetic to Elizabeth Warren, you know, being really angry and sounding very militant online right now. Now, who knows how long it's going to last? This could just be kind of like a Black Lives Matter flash in the pan level of militancy that you also saw from some of these same figures. But it is heartening to see some people make some direct attacks at, Joe Biden and and the administration and their failure to do anything at the same time that they are, you know, funneling even more money to Ukraine. And I, the, the, the upside of this, the silver lining, potentially the optimistic last half full full way to look at this is that this is, you know, part of the radicalizing moment that might be part of the uh, tipping point. Inshallah. I don't know. We'll see. Thanks for calling.
3: Yeah. Well,
1: Oops, sorry, sorry, Henry. Already, I already—I thought you were already off to the next. But um, Seth, go ahead and unmute uh, yourself, and let us know what's on your mind tonight.
4: Hey, um, so I actually have—I um, had an idea that hopefully mm-hmm. you don't uh, take offense to this, but it's like uh, an idea for a radar that you could do, maybe like sure a, or whatever. So let me set up the the scenario for you. So let's imagine that the Supreme Court follows through with this decision. And, you know, in June or early July, whatever, and then mass protests break out, which I think there's a pretty good chance of that happening. And we have like a summer of abortion rights protests, whatever. The Democrats ride that wave to a 52-seat Senate and to maintain control of the House. And then in January, they use that majority to abolish the filibuster and pass the Women's Health Protection Act, which would codify roe v wade i don't think that's going to happen but let's just say hypothetically it did and then let's say that the supreme court takes up a challenge to that law and they nullify the decision so essentially the democrats will have passed the law to protect it federally and then the supreme court says no you can't do that that's unconstitutional so then the question is what happens next and that would be like what you would explore on the radar is sort of the the possibilities of what could happen after that
1: I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of issues here, right? One, the idea that abortion you know abortion being row being overturned officially protests or not, that that will help Democrats in midterms enough so that we actually pick up seats in the Senate. I'm very skeptical of that given the numbers that were released earlier this week which show that the midterm terrain is basically unchanged post draft opinion leak. Moreover, even if by some miracle Democrats did pick up seats, you know, it's been reported and we've kind of been talking about on the show for a while that it's not Manchin and Cinema. There's like this gang of nine and probably more that are opposed to any number of reforms that Biden would have a hard time justifying not fighting for if the filibuster were gone. Right. Because behind codifying Roe comes the rest $15 $15 minimum wage, which ostensibly technically everybody was for except for mansion and cinema and a number of re- environmental reforms and a number of COVID reforms, uh, child tax credits, a lot of other kind of relief that they've been able to hang on mansion and cinema. And so it's hard for me to believe one that we pick up, you know, the 10 seats necessary to even get past that excuse. And even in that instance, I'm so pessimistic right now about the nature of the rotating villain that I don't know if that would be enough because we saw Obama with his filibuster-proof majority still say that he couldn't codify Roe, still say that he couldn't do X, Y, and Z. Okay, and then all that being said, I'm I'm not quite sure what would happen at that point, and I would love to have that conversation with a legal expert. I was trying to get, you know, the, the two on the panel, especially Professor Siegel, to kind of engage with that point a little bit more, but he was so adamant that... Uh, there was no legislative solution here that he wouldn't really entertain that (laughs) hypothetical for very long. Um, But I hear you. It's a, it's a question that's worth asking and someone who is much more of a constitutional than I, a scholar than I, I hope they ask it. somewhere you have to let me know if somebody engages with that.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the point of the exercise. I agree with you. I don't think that that scenario is going to happen, but the point is to kind of get people to look past What they're demanding right now, because that's essentially what people are hoping will happen. But the reality is, even if we got to that point, that they, that all of that stuff happened, and then the Supreme Court overturns it, it's, we're in a situation where like, see, to me, my answer to the question, because I'm thinking about this from a revolutionary perspective, in the sense that for us to get to that point, we're not going to be able to do it through the existing system, but let's just say we get power and we try to do that. Like, what is it going to look for us? And to me, it's either you have two options. You either throw up your hands and say, well, we tried, we passed the law, the Supreme Court overturned it, there's nothing we can do about it, or you have to fight back, you know, and then what does fighting back look like? And that to me is, is what's really interesting to think about, to, to sort of understand, like, the seriousness of the situation, because, like, the the... I, the The things that go through my head are first, you would talk about economic sanctions and you would target all of the politicians who pass the law and you would target anybody who enforces the law. So that would be like prosecutors who prosecute cases, abortion cases, judges who oversee the cases, police officers who execute any kind of search warrant or arrests. And you would do that to try to put pressure on them to stop. And then, you know, you could um, you could fund like Planned Parenthood or other organizations like that, like at a federal level and potential and put more abortion clinics in these states that are trying to ban abortion. And then you could provide federal security for the abortion clinics. But of course, that's not going to stop them from arresting people because they can just follow them or whatever. So if the economic sanctions don't work, then what do you, where do you go next? And then you could talk about either, you know, do you Sanction the entire state and essentially you know we're in like a Russia situation and then people of course are going to say that's going to hurt the the poorest and the working class the most or if you're not going to do that but you want to keep contesting, do you actually send like federal police in there and try to arrest the politicians who are passing the laws and try to arrest the judges and the prosecutors and if you do that you got to understand that there's a good chance that the local police the state police, potentially if the state has it, the state national guard, and of course, the January 6th people are all going to rally and unify and they're going to resist and they're going to try to fight back. And then we're essentially in a civil war situation to me. Like that's how it would play out. I, I don't know if at what point you might be able to scare them. Like they might stop if you're, if you're sanctioning these people and like seizing their bank accounts and stuff, maybe that would be enough or maybe it wouldn't. So, you know that—that's how I envision it. That's how I sort of see it playing out.
1: Yeah, I guess I just am having a hard time with the, a world where there's any appetite for any of that on the federal level. Like I just, I just,
4: I just. I'm sorry. Post revolutionary, I would say.
1: Well, right, but the the revolution isn't the federal isn't the Supreme Court overturning. Uh, whatever the 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 law codifying Roe, right I guess I guess my, my question is why is this predicated on there being a codification of row that is subsequently overturned by the Supreme Court as opposed to you know now since none of that is also going to happen in all likelihood
4: well I think if, I guess the point was to just create like a scenario that seems more realistic to people rather than like if you were to start off with the premise of Let's pretend that like we had a revolution and we, you know, changed the federal government and we had like, you know, democratic socialists in power, people who are actually willing to fight. I mean, you could start it from that, that point too, but like where people's heads are at right now is we got to pass a law, right? That's, that's what most people are demanding. They want the federal government to pass an abortion protection law. And then we kind of understand that like the next step would be, well, the Supreme Court would just overturn it. Whereas, I mean, if you could, if you wanted to start it from. The, right. If, you, if, if, you if mean, they
1: pass a law, if 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 the people who want a law now, ostensibly Chuck Schumer on all of them, they're in office. They pass a law somehow because we've won votes. I'm, let's just go with that somehow. It's still Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Jim Clyburn and all of them. I don't see the world where they're sending federal troops in anywhere to do anything for anybody. They're barely, right. they barely give a shit about abortion. They're right. They're, they're down in Texas right now campaigning for a pro abortion and an anti abortion Congress member. And so I just, I'm real, I'm having a hard time. I, I'm totally with you on me, you know, using mass protests to force a tipping point, but I don't see, I, I guess the part I'm str- hung up on is the idea where the federal government is coming to our aid in our efforts as opposed to us having to continue to be adversarial against the federal government.
4: Yeah, like, I agree with you. I mean, your issue here is really with, like, the premise of how this thing all gets set up. And yes, more realistically, this would happen if there was a revolution. And you're right, like, but but it gets you to explore the fact that these people that are in power are way too weak to ever fight back in this way. So if we really want those things to happen, if we really want to challenge this, that's the things that I'm talking about are the things that we would have to do, but we would need different people in power. And that's, that's where the idea of revolution has to come in because that's the only way you're going to make that happen.
1: Well, how do you, how do you see, how do you imagine different people being in power?
4: Well, I think that um, these protests would have to turn into protests for democracy. I mean, that's, you know, kind of my, uh, my motif. That's what I always talk about. And once the, we get that the way that I envision protest for democracy and the reason why that's the thing to protest for more than any other issue is that it's one of the, the core ideas of this country and one of the, the values that they push when they do things with the military in other countries. They say we're promoting freedom and democracy. So for them to have masses of people, millions, tens of millions of people protesting and saying that this government is undemocratic, it would completely delegitimize the whole system, not only in the eyes of people like us, but also in the eyes of the soldiers in the military. Because how are they going to justify telling these people to go fight a war or go deploy and put their lives on the line to fight for freedom and democracy when we don't have it here in this country? So that's going to present a major challenge to the ruling class that I think, hopefully, what I would hope would happen is you would have people in the leadership in the military who understand this would put pressure on the politicians and tell them if you don't do this, if you don't respond to what these people are demanding, we're not going to be able to defend this country. We're not going to be able to do the things you want to do around the world because there's going to be too much resistance. And if you at some point in the future decide to declare some war or whatever, we're going to have a mutiny in the military. So
5: that Wait, just is- help me,
1: I, I help me understand the, the mutiny point. You think that, is the idea that because Congress, because the Supreme court overturned a law that has some degree of popular support, although, you know, it's more along the lines of, you know, it's, it's the majority I think like a 70, close to 70% majority wants to uphold Roe, but also has some ambivalent feelings when you ask different kinds of questions, you know, safe, legal and rare and all that is kind of how people are feeling. But but the idea is that because there is actual legislation and the Supreme Court declares it unconstitutional, even though there's some degree of popular support, that there would be a, a kind of a constitutional crisis in the military that r- would cause them to want to break ranks and follow authority?
4: Well, no, it wouldn't really be about, it would be about the protests and what the protests were about. Like if the protests are about democracy and that's like the clear message that everybody has, like, you know, during the George Floyd, the clear message was Black Lives Matter. If, the, if these protests, like, they, they're going to have to play themselves out as abortion protests, but I'm saying after that, if they then turned into another big movement where the message was democracy, where it's not just about this one case and it's not just about the Supreme Court, it's about the whole system. It's about the Senate, the Electoral College, the, the gerrymandering, the voter suppression that the Republicans are doing, All of that stuff and the Supreme Court and the nature of of how undemocratic it is. If it was about all of that and it had, like, the full participation of the country, a, like, stop everything kind of moment, it's getting nonstop news coverage for weeks or months, that kind of a situation would produce culturally a feeling that this is not a real democracy and this is not a legitimate government. And then it's up to the soldiers in the military eventually and they're going to decide that, like, you know we're not going to take we're not going to listen to what this government is telling us to do. We're not going to risk our lives from the illegitimate government.
1: Well, look, let me get some other people in here and hear hear what they think about this. I I I I want to be open to this. I really want to be open to this. But the skepticism you hear in my voice is about how this is like not even top tier from my perspective evidence of. Uh, our, our lack of equality in this country, the lack of democracy in this country. Do you know what I mean? And we've been riling, we've been riling about this through two Bernie campaigns. We've been talking about the upward transfer of wealth. We've been talking about poverty. We've gone through an economic crisis. We've gone through a pandemic. We've gone through a million people dead from COVID. We've gone through the overturning of the Voting Rights Act. We've gone through George Floyd. We've gone through the 2000 election. You know, we've gone through the one And the evidence has been clear for a really long time. I mean, like, this is the Glenn Greenwald com- uh, column from the other day that everyone was so mad at and that I mentioned in my radar from last week. that uh, We don't live in a democracy, we live in a republic. Everyone knows this. Republicans love to bandy that av- around, not shamefully, but as an excuse for why. Of course we don't live in democracy. We should live in democracy. Republicans, which... Many military members are are very proud of the fact that our founding fathers established a democracy because they think that not having quote-unquote mob rule is a legitimate boon. And the idea that we don't live in a democracy will, I believe, just fall completely flat on their ears. I love the idea of protest. I think that protest absolutely can change something. But I, I suspect that the tenor of the protest would have to be it's, it will be about, shall we say, the intensity of the protests as opposed to any particular messaging around the protests. And the question is, are people going to be mad enough, sustained enough, and be willing to put pressure in the ways that actually have a direct effect? To, to Chris Hedge's point, are they going to make people afraid? And I don't mean necessarily – I don't mean afraid of you know, violence. But even the fact of protesters out in front of these Supreme Court justices' houses is causing people to wet their pampers, even though they're peaceful. Um, And that's something that we should talk about, what people think about the ethics of all of that. Uh, And I'd be curious to see if there are the kinds of, you know, economic sanctions, et cetera, that might have an effect. If people can actually shut down businesses or industries, if there could be labor strikes connected to this. I would love to see that. I was Googling what industries have disproportionately women in them and you know a lot of them are already very organized or relatively organized industries teachers unions nurses etc you know what would happen if we couldn't fly airplanes because all the women flight attendants said no or kids couldn't go to school because all the teachers said no I mean I think that there is a real possibility of having real change I'm not being pessimistic about that at all I'm just a little I don't know I'm a little bit skeptical that What's going on in the court specifically and that having more kind of legalese with the back and forth over the um, uh, legislation is going to be the tipping point. I mean I do, I do take your point that like the liberal commentariat is invested in this it seems in a way that they haven't been invested in other things because it's really shocking to their idea of systems functioning you know the the, the Buddha judge mind is really offended by breaks from the norms and all of that. I, I hear that. I hear that. I don't know. Let's 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 hear from some folks. Thank you, Steph, for bringing that up. Let's hear from uh, Carolina. What do you think about all of this?
6: Uh, it's actually Carolina boy. I guess you can't see my full name. Sorry. Or anything, but uh, can you hear me all <laughs> Sorry right? Sorry
1: about that. Yeah, I can hear you, Carolina boy. What's up? No,
6: Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I, I kind of wanted to go a little off topic. You know, my, I, I saw your title. Hey, Carolina,
1: and, boy, oh, I, I I if... Carolina boy, you're cutting in and out for me. I don't know. Carolina boy, you're cutting in and out for me. I'm not sure if that's the same for others. I'm not sure if it's a where you're standing or if you can improve your connection at all. Just letting you know. Hello? Oh, dear. Okay. Carolina boy, get back in line and we'll call, call you back up when it looks. Oh, hello. Oops, sorry. I had already been next to you. I'll put you back from the from the end. Your connection was a little dodgy, though. Owen, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind.
7: Sure thing. How are you today, Bertie?
1: I'm doing all right, Owen. What do you think of all of this? Did you have anything, any uh, comment on Seth's thoughts about the potential revolutionary impact of a Amendment being, uh, sorry, uh, legislation being overturned?
5: Oh,
7: uh, specifically in regards to that, when it comes to testing on organizing, the greatest way to convince someone of your ideology is to provide for the material needs and anything that doesn't, personally.
1: Sorry, I heard anything that doesn't, and then you cut out a little bit, Owen.
7: Oh, um, I said anything that doesn't – Uh, I guess in order to convince somebody of an ideology, you have to really provide for their material needs. And in order for any of that to happen, we're going to have to address people's material needs and convince them of what we believe that way in order to have enough people on our side to have any revolution. So I guess that's my thoughts on that specifically. But I did have well, what, another question okay. for you. When it had, when it came to the politics of like protesting and how we specifically do that in regards to uh, the Kavanaugh protest. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I was just going to ask, uh, since uh, the celebrity activists is like an ever-evolving class amongst the black elite. How mm-hmm. do you think this new class of celebrity activists will be used to affect or manipulate? major upcoming elections and the newly growing popularity of the labor rights of a uh, labor organization in this country.
1: It's, it's really frustrating to kind of watch these news stories about Patrice colors at the same time that all of this is going down. Cause on one hand, you know, maybe people will be wiser to the next round of, you know, hacktivists that tries to co-opt, et cetera, and not let them do it. On the other hand, I could see, it, you know, the distrust in leadership figures or figureheads of any kind being used to derail what could be an authentic moment. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, the Women's March never really had—I mean, it had a couple of, you know, figureheads: that Linda Sarsour and Tamika Mallory, and people like that were out front. But it was—it was, it was shorter-lived too. But it was—it was a diffuse movement. Didn't again also really have any concrete Ask it was more just kind of a generalized Anti-Trump situation which Wasn't gonna You know what were they gonna do Take him out of the oval uh, So I don't know I'm just I guess I'm thinking Out loud what do I what effect Do I think I'm, it's gonna have what effect Do you think it's gonna have
7: Oh uh, Personally and I guess Just looking back at history It's not gonna be good
1: what do you
7: imagine's gonna happen? Uh specifically right now, what's going to happen uh also in regards in uh into Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. most likely they're gonna be uh not necessarily competing activists, but I guess um sort of like a hierarchy of needs when it comes to specific issues and then specific groups arguing over specific Basically, like uh, things that need to get done, like there would be a Roe versus Wade person who's arguing against another person who's talking about police reform. And that argument will kind of be used as like a distraction from actually getting anything done. In my opinion, that's probably what's going to happen.
5: Well,
1: let's let's try not to – I, I I am happy to withhold judgment until the problems actually emerge. I don't especially feel so compelled to start being mad at figments and, and problems that haven't emerged yet. Let's just see if there's a protest movement that gets off the ground in the first place, <laughs> I think, Owen. But, you know, it certainly is something to keep one's eye out on. Um, I just saw Sophia Bush – I didn't listen to it, but I was, I was scrolling a timeline – You know, the actress from, um, you know, that song, uh, Gavin DeGraw intro show from the early uh, One Tree Hill, One Tree Hill, uh, Mm -hmm. talking about how she hasn't ruled out running for office. She said, you know, if if TV stars are get to be president then hell's bells, I might I might have to reserve judgment on whether I throw my hat on the ring. And, you know, there's a part of me, you know, I've always had this part of me that's like, yeah, hell's yeah, let's hear more from Cardi B, not less. In a world where, you know, Bernie was getting blackballed and all of this stuff, it's like, let's use this at our disposal. But, of course, there is that risk of co-option. So thanks for raising it, Owen. Thank you for calling in.
7: Sure thing, of course. Have a nice rest of your evening.
1: You too, Owen. Shelly, how are you doing? Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind.
8: Hey, girl. I'm doing good. Um, you sound really tired.
1: I am tired. <laughs> yeah. but c'est la vie. Uh, <laughs>
8: well i I felt like your conversation with the two constitutional attorneys was pretty exhausting for you. <laughs> um, obviously, a lot of frustration, like you're trying to get to like a deeper root of the issues, how it is that we combat it, and I understand sort of I disagree with kind of like Crystal and Kyle whenever they talk about the nihilism of people that don't want to participate in electoral politics anymore.
5: Mm.
8: but I think. The true nihilistic position is kind of it was the the male attorney that you had, mm-hmm. who was just kind of like throwing his hands up and being like, eh, it's corrupt. It's over, mm-hmm. it's done. It's it's corrupt, it's it's stupid. Why are you even talking about it? Mm-hmm. Even if you try to do something, it's over and done. And I think the bigger point about it is kind of like, what we've I think I've talked to you about on previous calls. Is sort of like the exposure of how undemocratic and how the system doesn't really work. And that does actually mean something. Kind of to the point of sort of like the revolutionary aspect, you know.
1: Yeah. And it just empowers people, I think, to make better arguments, too, Mm because not every single person's going to be able to be outside of Kavanaugh's house, not every person's going to be able to escalate in whatever ways these things escalate. A lot of folks are going to be having conversations. I mean, to the extent that um, the earlier caller was talking about people becoming disaffected in the military and them losing kind of control over the brand, that you know that institution. Well, if that something like that were to happen, it would be also in part because of conversations being had between military you know, service members and their families and other service members about how this has threatened their belief in the system because of norms being violated. You don't know that norms are being violated unless you have a conversation about what normally happens. How decisions are normally reasoned, the unprecedented nature of overturning settled law of stare decisis, which has, you know, been respected by the court in all these other contexts, that there are rubric that they usually use if they do decide to overturn a previous decision. You know, there there are standards, even if they are really flexible and bent toward one's political ends, they at least go through the motions, usually of coming up with some kind of excuse to dress up their politics. Right. And the nature of how flagrant this is, especially in this draft form, maybe they would have done a better job covering their tracks in the final version, but how flagrant this is, I think has the potential to galvanize people, but you got to be able to unpack the, whatever 60 page opinion for folks. So it doesn't just seem like you're a liberal who's mad about an outcome.
8: Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of how I felt with both of the guests. I, I, they made a whole lot of great points. Um, there was a lot of things that I agreed with them on, but it was just kind of more of like, sort of like the outrage that it's happening. It's like, okay, yeah, we're all mad, like we're all angry about it, you know. Yeah. But like, you were just des- like desperately trying to be like, okay, just chill for a second. I get you're mad, and I'm and I get I'm inviting you on to yell, but <laughs> we need a solution. Like, and so. What, it, what is the solution? And I think that kind of what, like what you're talking about, even if you go through all these things where it's like you're you're showing the process and you're doing that type of stuff, even though it takes time and it's not, it doesn't seem like it's happening overnight, there is a certain amount of just showing, even if you follow all the things and, and they, they put forward their arguments and they do all that, the system at its core is, still rotten. You know, and you can yeah. continue to advance that point where look, we, you know, dotted all the i's, crossed all the t's, the system's still rotten. And maybe that would have more of an impact on making people you know, believe that the system doesn't work. And then I would have to say as far as like the revolutionary type um aspect of it is you like as far as the military turning on the government in power, it's usually like from all the revolutions that I can think of where the military has done that, there's usually been an economic disaster where most of the members of the military are not benefiting either, and then mm-hmm. you've got the mass protests from the ground. And it's never going to be over a cultural issue. It's going to be over material concerns. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's literally how the Bolsheviks took power in Russia. They had a very simple slogan. Peace, land, and bread. That's mm-hmm. what we want. We want food. We want the ability to, to you know, have property, to harvest, to grow food. And we want to fucking quit war. And everyone understood those are the economic conditions. And eventually, even the czarist Russian soldiers did not fire on protesters
1: yeah i see uh seal team 3 1990 in the chat saying he was in the navy or they were in the navy for six years and has a ton of veteran friends and that a military coup isn't happening and i you know i don't have that experience but my understanding is that you know americans are institutionalists and we aren't yeah. used to coups we don't know anything about no coup <laughs> like That's just not how we were bred and we are relatively still quite comfortable. A lot of people entered the military in the first place because of the relative comfort that it offered. It was the only way to get healthcare and the only way to pay for education and all of that. And the idea they are going to give that up over a genuinely polarizing, as much as I can quote the polls that say it's, we're on the right side of this, a genuinely polarizing issue that nobody feels great about, you know, I, I, I personally don't see it. I don't want to shit. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum.
8: No, no, it, it, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I just, I just think that we kind of have to, rec- to like sort of recognize the limitations of kind of, kind of what you're talking about as far as like the American mindset. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, it's been a long time since we've really had like, sort of like the strife that caused people to take up arms where, whereas meanwhile, that's happened recently. Like... Yeah, in the past 100 years in other countries. And that is just not something that's bred into our mindset. So this this kind of idea of having sort of like this organized militant sort of like uprising that that's actually capable of taking power, I think, is a long way off. And I don't necessarily think that that type of movement should be blowing things up. Because that turns people against you, like, look at the weather underground. Like even Fred Hampton was saying that like, no, you don't, you don't do that crap.
1: Like, well, let me, you let me ask you what you, people. what do you make of these uh, Supreme Court uh, protests at the justices' houses?
8: Um, I personally think that I don't have any issue with people. I mean, those, they're the people making decisions Sure, protest in front of their houses. But I also don't think that they're going to care. I I don't think that they care. I I don't think that it's a threat to them. Like, you're talking about a bunch of conservative judges where their base is behind them on this particular issue. So, yeah, they'll stay inside their house for a couple of nights, but it's not going to make them change their minds. They are judicial activists. Um, That's kind of where they sit. And I don't understand why we're wasting time being mad at people that we know will never agree with us
1: yeah so i I tweeted something to that effect, you know, mm-hmm. I mean that I am supportive of the protests at their houses, and you know a couple of people tweeted back to me that I suppose you don't mind if we come protest at your house, you're a public figure, and you know there was this whole back and forth between Nathan Robinson and Glenn Greenwald today where mm-hmm. you know somebody that's, pushed that's back:
8: a, that's, a, that's a little bit different you're You're a public figure
5: that...
1: Well, you know like well, but let's let's go with that for a second. Let, let's right. go with it for a second. I, I'm not, I'm not, this has, none of this has caused me to change my mind. So let's just play this out a little bit. Cause I do think we have to be prepared for this. Anyone who says this is going to get the feedback that I've gotten, which is okay. Then I'm coming for you. And also outside of just me and whether or not you think that I am sufficiently public enough to warrant protest outside <laughs> no, of my apartment building, but, um, but the, the, the back and forth with Glenn and, and Nathan was was Nathan saying, well, you know, they should stand – basically they should they're, – they're not random human beings. Their politics is impacting the lives and causing real danger to millions of women potentially. And this is commensurate with, mm-hmm. you know, the actions that they've taken. And Glenn interpreted Nathan as basically saying anytime you have an outcome that you disagree with and thinks causes you harm, you have the right to protest and potentially threaten – even if it's kind of tacitly the people who have made that decision. So of course you wouldn't feel bad if they were, pro you know, if a bunch of a sec- second amendment aficionados were protesting outside of uh, Sotomayor's house because they believe that Sotomayor had some opinion written by her had undermined people's second amendment rights. That's okay too, right? And they're going back and forth about the, the, this and saying that each other has mischaracterized each other. But I want to just stay with the hypothetical. How do we feel the second amendment, is a constitutional right are you know there's a argument about whether or not it means you're allowed to have any old guns sitting around in your house and conservatives tend to read out the bit about to have a, a well-formed militia or whatever the heck you know but well, just you have, a,
8: you have the right to an organ a, a,
1: a well-regulated militia, militia yes. yes so you know the that's that's the whole interpretive battle, right? Between the left and the right. No p- person on the right is on the left. Rather is actually trying to, you know, get rid of the Second Amendment, no matter how it's characterized. But you get my point. Like, if there were, if for some reason, Senator Moyer, the, the, the liberal justices carried the day, and there was a very restrictive gun law put into effect, and people were upset about it, good faith hunters who just like to shoot deer came to Sotomayor's house and were are protesting, would we find that appropriate?
8: Um, I personally would find it appropriate. Um, but it also depends on sort of like the intentions involved, which I think is something that did not come across in what they were talking about. Cause I did kind of see like a l- couple of bits of that exchange. Um, I, I think my issue with it is, like, whenever I was talking about, like, yes, you are a public figure, but you're a podcaster. You have your own biases. Those are well-known. You know, you have things that you advocate for, whatever. You do not hold the reins of state power. That's a huge difference. So do I think that you should be, like, your apartment should be surrounded just because you're a public figure that's facilitating conversations? Do I think you should be surrounded and protested? Not necessarily, but government officials and people that are in the government that wield state power—they are—they should not be protected in that same way, or or it should not be as much of a consideration, if that makes sense.
1: I mean, that line in the sand benefits me, and I'm happy to embrace that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) but you know, I, I. there are a lot of people, I think, who would say no to the Sotomayor question. I mean, you're consistent, and I th- I think I agree with you. But there are, I think, plenty of folks who would say – who who would at the very least cringe at the idea of a bunch of Second Amendment folks and all the implications of what that means being outside of Sotomayor's house. And I think part of that is because we have this confidence that the people in our crowds aren't violent and the people in the Second Amendment crowds are – Which might not be fair, right? Because that guy who shot that senator at the baseball game was like a Bernie fan. I mean, things happen. The
8: one. The one.
1: The one. Um, Yeah, for sure. This is a safe space. That's the only reason I bring it up here.
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I I think the only thing that I would argue differently about is whenever, like, I remember the Michigan protests whenever people were complaining about, like, lockdowns and stuff like that. How many of those people pushed in through that state capitol? They weren't actively pointing guns at people's faces they were slung over their backs, slung over their chest they weren't you know the safeties weren't off and they weren't pointing them at police officers mm. but mm. they they showed up and they said like essentially what that kind of group does is everyone goes like oh my god have you seen the reaction to the black lives matter stuff and you know all that well we don't show up with anything like that we we
5: mm-hmm.
8: whenever we do that we show up just assuming that what it is that we have to say will be heard by the state. Mm-hmm. You know, like j- just it's, us coming yeah. out in the numbers and we don't enforce it with anything. And I'm not advocating advocating any types of violence, but I am in some ways advocating a little bit of protection. You know?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. This is such a difficult thing to talk about. Yeah, I know because... It is. It is. You know, there's some things that you're not supposed to say <laughs> out loud in polite company and if you don't want to be taken off a platform or two. But this question of how to generate fear is a real one. And this idea of if if we believe that power concedes nothing without a demand, what is the demand that can be heard? And the left is very comfortable talking about certain kinds of um, economic pressures, labor withholding, sanctions boycott, divest, et cetera, that can create pressures that are not violent in nature. Then there's another group of people who is willing to have a conversation like we did in the most recent environmental episode about forms of property destruction as quote-unquote violence that are arguably commensurate with the scale of harm that's coming down the pike with respect to the environment. You know, I don't know if you saw the news over the last week or so, about these in, insane record high t- temperatures in India that are just killing people all over the place for walking outside. I mean, that's the reality of the world. Some and there was a we did an episode with um, David Wallace Wells where he was talking about however many million people, hundreds of thousands of people die every year in China from air pollution, and it's just considered a thing that happens. You know, like if you really believe if you know the the, the anti-abortion protesters apparently passionately believe that life begins at conception and that's how they have justified. Oh, I took some notes on this. Where are they? Uh, however many people they've killed over the years, um, bombing abortion clinics and following people to their homes and being like real assholes. Where is it? I took a screen grab. I don't know. I'm not very organized today. I apologize. It's fine. But the, the the point is like, if, if we believe like I, I have this problem over and over again, where the the intensity of the rhetoric doesn't match up with the level of, I'm sorry for lack of a better word, threat. And I don't mean like threat to bodily harm, but whether it's pro- property destruction, whether it's, you know, standing outside of somebody's house, <laughs> you know, right. e- even that, they, the White House just walked that back. Jen Psaki was a little bit based for one second in her initial answer, then they walked it back. And that's what's so frustrating to me. And that's what makes me a little upset about this, um, this codification of Roe stuff too, because some people are like, "Oh great, they're going to force the vote." This is what the left has been asking for, right? Like this is a force the vote moment. It's not going to pass, but at we're least it will reveal a vote we
8: know we're going to lose.
1: Well, but that was the same argument people it's made right, about force but, the vote. It, so it, I'm I'm trying to interrogate the difference here. And the difference to me it seems is that the left different. the left was prepared to make an argument that this is why the members of the Democratic Party are corrupt. The force the vote failed the vote failed. Not because it's not popular, because here are the polls around Medicare for All, but because there's a disconnect between elected officials and the people they're supposed to represent. They're bought and they're captured, and that's why this thing failed. If the abortion ban fails, I mean, if the abortion legislation fails, Schumer and all of them are not going to be pointing the finger at their colleagues. They won't even call out Manchin and Sinema now. You know, they're not going to be making a case for why this means we need systemic reform and why we need to vote people out of office and all of that. It's going to be used as a cover for their ineptitude and say, oh, well, at least we tried. You can't ask us for anything anymore. I told you it was mansion and cinema. And to me, that's well, a really meaningful difference.
8: That Well, that's kind of what I was talking about. Like, there is a difference between it because this is something that, like, you have all, like, a lot of the Democratic majority believes in, like, the pro-choice argument, whereas, well a whole lot of people might say hey medicare for all be nice and they like it but the difference is between like exposing like sort of like a core liberal fundamental aspect of it and saying look even the democratic party can't deliver on that is a little bit different than like a policy for healthcare so that that's kind of the distinction that i would make between it i i actually do think that the abortion issue is a lot more maybe salient or exposing of the democratic party. So
1: it that's interesting. Does... I actually kind of feel the opposite. I, I hear you. I'm not saying I'm right, but I, I feel the I opposite. Right. <laughs> okay. Like, that's, that's interesting. I, cause, Cause here's the thing about abortion and the people do not like liberals and not liberals. The broad left does not like to have this conversation, mm-hmm. but it is not even people who very much support Roe and the right to choose when you dig down into the polls deeper, are very ambivalent about the actual act, right? They're like, we want people to have the option, but me personally, eh, it's an ethical gray zone. That people, this is like the average point of view. So that people zealously, even me, I can't see myself so easily zealously in the street going, I want abortion. rights. The same way I would zealously in the street be like, I want. Medicare for all, and that has nothing to do with me. Obviously, not wanting Roe to exist, but to me, there's so much more stigma associated with. The, I mean, obviously, I'll zealously say all the things. I, this is just like a, a hypothetical, but it, there, there's more stigma associated with abortion, not just because people have been stigmatizing it, but because I feel, even even though, like I'm a sci- I'm a you know bio major and give it can't don't give a shit about as I go like I have no religion I have no moral implicate at some point I do have a moral feeling about it at some point <laughs> you know I don't I'm not wild I mean I, you know you know the exceptions excluded you know if if right. it's a danger to the mother and ectopic pregnancies all those other kind of things that that result in late-term abortions but generally speaking I'm not wild about the idea of someone just going and Killing some nine-month-old fetus in the womb, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So we all have this. We all, at some point, have to acknowledge that there is an ethical gray zone implicit yes. in the whole enterprise. Yes, Absolutely. and so that's why I just don't ever see it being the same kind of rallying cry as Medicare for all.
8: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess the only reason that I'm that I'm interpreting the difference um, is because. It's basically, it's been such a talking point for so long, and it gets so many people worked up, and that's the difference. Mm. But I do agree with you about all of the points you made. And then I just, like, we, I think it's just because I'm the first girl, (laughs) and (laughs) it's about abortion. So we've spent a little bit, so I I, want to log off, but I just wanted to tell you my version of practicing safe sex. Please. I take all right-hand turns to the clinic.
1: I'm not going to take a left-hand
8: turn and endanger myself.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, you're saying that That's just, you're, you're – ter- It's
8: a bad – it's a terrible joke. It's a
1: bad woman driver I joke. I don't – oh, okay.
8: I, it's a bad woman <gasps> driver because I'm a woman, and so I'm not even going to dare take a left-hand <laughs> turn to an abortion clinic. I'm only going to take a right-hand turn. <laughs> it's
1: a terrible right. joke. One of my friends told me about it a long time ago. No, I, it's me. It's me for being too dense. I appreciate you, Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you have a great night bye everyone you too you too Shelley. uh all right i'm gonna skip past the erics for a second because i feel like i talk to you every week love you guys i'll come back in a second jaw what's on your mind
9: can you hear me brie
1: i can hear you jaw how you doing i'm doing well how are you
9: i'm pretty good man your boy just turned 37 today so you know
1: happy birthday what is it Taurus season
9: <laughs> it is tourist season Indeed. Well, congratulations
1: to you. I love a, I love a good Taurus. My rising sign is in Taurus. What keeps well, it me so sense. grounded.
9: Yeah, very strong energy for sure. <laughs> uh, wow, this is, uh, this is super intense. Uh, shout out to Shelly. That was awesome. That, just that back and forth that you guys had. And
1: yes, shout out to, wait, here we go. Shelly. <laughs>
9: <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Seth, I, I was really thinking about, um, all the things that he was saying, and the whole time I'm kind of uh, auditing everything, and I really need to listen again once this um, gets put up to, so we can re-listen. But I'm just thinking about all the ways that the establishment will quash um, a movement for a democracy, and how, you know, for instance, something like the media would, you know, really easily misrepresent it. And so I'm just trying to think of strategies of how we can mitigate all those things. But yeah, Seth really had me thinking. Um, Mm. and on the point on the question you asked about if protests in front of people's houses are you know I I think it's fine I guess for me the main thing is why are we there are we there Mm. to because we simply just disagree with the decision because not that that's not enough but I would almost rather us all be there because we're trying to call out the mechanism of the court that truly is, you know, anti-democratic and corrupt and and twisted and, you know, the whole hist- historic evaluation thing that you guys were talking about today and like all the, just the way y'all drilled down into those mechanisms and how it left me feeling at the end is that we really just we live in the upside down, Brianna.
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly, I really I don't want to be demoralizing at all, but I have to confess that. As I keep finding new lows in <laughs> this uh-huh. post burning landscape, the the I shouldn't say keep finding new lows because I, I talk to people like, um, uh, you know the the climate human, you know Calmis,
5: mm-hmm.
1: and I am optimistic because I see other avenues that I think will be more more effective. But there is a certain amount of like demoralization that comes with realizing how much traditional methods are just not going to work. And to yeah. the extent that a month ago, I was like, meh, I don't know if electoralism is for me. Today, <laughs> a month later, I'm like, I am not even answering texts from people who I really like who want help with the final push and stuff. Listen. I, just, I, I just, I cannot bring myself, like I don't want to tell them, like I don't want to have another moment like we did with. Um, you know, our candidate from Northern Virginia who ended up dropping out of a race. I felt really bad about that. Mm. But also, I'm not going to sit and lie to someone's face and tell them that I, I think that this is worthwhile. So I've just been basically <sighs> ghosting everybody. Bree, see, <laughs> see? Now listen, I was just
9: listening to Crystal Kyle and Friends and I know, um, you know, Mama Marianne is your friend and everything and I like her a lot. I definitely have a lot of respect for her. But that conversation... The the yeah, way I that
1: I've listened to it, I've been avoiding that. Also, it,
9: I was very dismayed, and the reason why was the characterization of uh, of the base that is disillusioned with electoral politics, as we've seen them, is being portrayed as people being all up in their feelings and then surrendering to apathy. And I'm like, no, it's clarity. It, be, <laughs> it is. It's clarity. And could it be that we're seriously evaluating? you know, people like Nina Turner running in the Democratic Party, as we now have this new data, you know, like years ago, we didn't have this. It would the mm-hmm. Justice Democrats were a big experiment. And now we mm-hmm. have a lot of data that shows us new things. And we have to, we're evaluating it as a strategy. And I can't believe people are going to sit up in here and act like there's something wrong with that. I can't.
1: Yeah. And the thing about that step, too, is that it, whenever I've interviewed these candidates, and it will... it. If I had interviewed Senator Turner, it would have been the same. Mm-hmm. It's not because I'm trying to derail anybody. It's because I want you to answer some questions that demonstrate that you have some understanding of what went wrong before and how you're going to do things differently. <laughs> like even if it means you're still running as a Democrat, which – but OK. Give me your <laughs> argument for how this is going to work for you, running as a Democrat. As, and it didn't work for other people. What is your strategy? Because there's some things we haven't seen yet, right? We haven't seen what a Nina Turner style candidate looks like fully embracing the half a bowl of shit and running on <laughs> a full bowl of shit.
5: Well, you no, know, I would know.
1: Really, I don't. I can't sit here and tell you it's going to work. And I certainly, if I were working for Senator Turner, like if I were her employee, would I advise that? I don't even know that I would because I don't know if I would want that weight on my shoulders that I was the one who told her basically to kamikaze this thing. Really? However, I, well, look, just hypothetically, like in my as my fiduciary duty is whatever I was hired <laughs> as, could I advise her as, of that? I don't know. As a bystander, uh. I sure as hell would like to see it you know as a as a a person who was hypothetically contributing to her campaign I would have happily paid money to watch her kamikaze it just so that we can have the data point to see what happens if someone runs unabashedly as a leftist
9: boom exactly
1: and then if it if we try that a few times and that fails, then OK, then I'll stop arguing that maybe that's the problem and maybe we give up on electoralism altogether and and that's fine. So but there's, there, that's all to say that there are some things I would still like to see done electorally. I'm not saying I'm completely over it. I would I would be very interested to see that. However, absent that, absent someone who is willing to say, oh, I'm going to do it differently. Oh, here's how, I, my, you know, or, or like this hypothetical we were talking about a few months ago where like if Marianne ran. And if she you know, were asked the question, you know, will you support the eventual nominee if she were to say, not if you guys screw me over, you know, right. you play the, by the rules, I'll play by the rules. But if you try to keep me off at debate stage, if you, Bernie Blacklist me. If, if you, you tie change... me to a
9: chair, like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> man, kind right? Of. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm just blabbering at this point.
9: Well, and I also wanted to say something else. I I heard what you said when you were talking to Sylvester um, about your desires to do more straight up journalism and have more long form researched interviews and conversations and debates and have more time to research. And I had kind of mentioned last time about rising because it's, Brie, let's just be, I have to be honest. Mm. It's just exciting to see you. Um, anywhere under some lights, you know, <laughs> next to Robbie, it doesn't matter. I'm just like, oh, I mean, good for Brie, wherever you're at. But, you know, my hunch is that I speak for more than just myself. When I say that um, we, your patrons want you to be, we just want you to do what truly makes you feel like you're being the best and most effective version of yourself. And I don't know. It seems like that rising shit is a little bit of an energy suck. And uh, <laughs> we just, we want you to be your whole integrated, you know, self, um, wherever you are and wh- whatever you're doing. And, and I really want to continue to support you on the things that you really
1: want to do. So. I appreciate that, Ja. I, I got to be honest <laughs> with you guys. I'm feeling very torn about it all
3: because hmm. I feel
1: on some level an obligation. Like I was, I, I don't, I negotiated myself to not have to do Mondays. (laughs) So I wasn't on today. So that means like on Mondays, I have a day to record the actual podcast for Thursday. It gives me a little flexibility. I'm not ostensibly quite as wiped by the time I do this. Um, but I was watching today's show and, you know, I saw conversations that if I were a part of, I would have said things that were very different, right? Mm. I would have pushed back in different ways. um, (laughs) And I feel two ways about that, right? Like I it is it is such a privilege to have a a ready-made built-in ideological diverse ideologically diverse panel every single day. I don't have to schedule it the way I have to on bad faith and convince people to sit down with people that they don't like and, and go through all of that in order to have a good discussion. <laughs> there are people who like each other and respect each other and have the capacity to have that conversation built in every day. Interesting, like a an interesting conservative and interesting and kind of like left, uh, alternative type and like, it's interesting. They have interesting takes, right?
5: Yeah.
1: And it's a good foil for me at the same time hmm. in that context, I'm the lib,
9: <laughs>
1: right. I, I'm, I'm the lib <laughs> and I am provoked into having conversations about things that are not my priorities but mm. I feel like if I don't say them, then I'm tacitly condoning the other things that are being said around me, which I don't approve of, like I don't agree right. with, rather is a better way to put it. And so I feel increasingly like I'm being unmoored from the topics that I would prefer to talk about because it's like, like, for example.
9: But is there any benefit to, to that? <sighs> Right.
1: I mean, you tell me, you tell Uh, me, is it worth it for me to get into a fight? Like how many times have I sat here and said, CRT is a distraction. Is it worth it for me to be sitting and getting into fights about CRT where I'm going to be forced to basically defend CRT all the time? Because someone says there's some snarky comment about CRT or some (laughs) snarky comment about birthing people or some snarky Mm -hmm. comment about, oh, do I have to teach preschoolers what binary is? Right. And then like even though I would prefer not to be talking about any of those things, because I think they're intentionally being draw- brought up. so we're not talking about the Republicans fighting against a $15 minimum wage in Florida. It, I, I have to say something because what? I'm gonna sit here and laugh at the idea that yeah, sometimes trans men get pregnant. <laughs> like right. I, and I don't I'm sorry like it's it's rare. It's not my preoccupation. I don't think anybody should build their entire political agenda on that notion of a thing that exists in the world. But I'm not going to sit here and laugh at it. What's the joke? What's the joke? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and I can feel this tension, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't
9: know. (laughs) Well, no, it sounds like you're saying no. I I I don't think it is helpful. I think that you have spent all this time sort of sifting down to the things that you feel like are really important to talk about and the things to highlight apart from the distractions. And so if you continually find yourself on this dueling ground that you don't really want to be in, and, and the, you know, overarchingly is not useful, then no, you've just said it. I, I, I
1: yeah. Okay. But the <laughs> other part of it is that if I'm not there, well, first of all, it's uh-huh. going to be someone, you know, they're going to hire somebody. But if it's not me, do I have an obligation? Because it is a big audience. They do have a million subscribers. Their videos do get a lot of views. Not my videos. No one, no one wants my lib rising, <laughs> my my lib radars. Hmm. Um, but you know, there is an audience there. Do I have a kind of an obligation? You know, should I? You know, it's an amazing opportunity to have a platform and grow your voice. And it's very early on, and people have to win over an audience, Ryan had to win over. I mean, he was getting terribly, like dragged terribly in the comments oh, for like months. Yeah. And then people came to appreciate what he brought to the show. He has a, whatever you think about some of the takes he's had, he has an enormous amount of institutional knowledge. And I continue to rely on him on a resource as a resource about what's going on in the Hill and oh,
9: for sure. all
1: those kinds of things. And, and, and of course, important reporting. Hmm. So, you know, am I just being like sensitive <laughs> and do I need to grow up? And figure oh. out the new media. I mean, like, there's something I think that I, I can figure it out. I can already feel, I can feel how it will be better over time. And I just need to figure it out, arguably.
9: Okay. I, I feel that. And I can understand why you're torn. And I, feel, I think that this is a decision that only time will be able to, more time will be able to answer for you um, as far as what is the appropriate thing to do. So that's, that's interesting. But either way. You know we we're, we're behind you, Brie. We're we're ready for whatever it is.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate you, Ja. I really do.
9: Yeah, I appreciate you too. And one last very short thing. Sure. In the future, um, I wanted to ask you about the possibility of talking about artists, Mia's, um, and you know, a progressive left wing artist myself. Uh, just the lack of content out there and uh where you can find content uh what is our role in in the movement in general just all those things Uh, you ever thought about having any writers musicians actors Mm. producers visual artists um on the show because i i don't know um just something i've been thinking about
1: that was that was a that was something that was planned when we started this podcast Mm -hmm. um there was an episode a while back with Rachel Rabbit White, who's a poet, and there were plans to have uh, Nico. Um, he wrote the book Cherry. I'm sorry, I'm just blocking his name for some reason. Huh. Um, but that got made into that movie with Tom Holland, and you know, obviously, we had Boots Riley, and oh yeah, you know, there was some, there was this idea that it was going to be more creative, and I have dropped the ball on that. That's my fault. Okay. Well. Sometimes I don't always know what I'm gonna talk about with people. Like for example, and this is probably not what you had in mind, but the um uh fellow from um Heart in a Blender. Oh god. Sorry. Ooh. Here's to the H- Nobby fella alive. Here's to the you know, from from my my prom song.
9: <laughs> oh man, why am I not You guys are killing me. I know. I- I'm just I'm
1: tired. I fully Eve Six, the guy from Eve Six. Okay. Sorry. um Like I've been wanting to have him on forever, but I don't always know what I'm going to talk to them about because I'm such a square. You know, I don't, I have to think through if they're not an explicitly, you know, they don't have like a political agenda per se. What are like we talking about? Riley. Like, right. Right. Like, or, or even Ice Cube. We had him on, but it's not like we were talking about rap music. Questlove follows me. He was like a, one of my early follows. And I think periodically, like, oh, I should DM him and ask him on the show. That would be so cool. But like, also, um, what am I going to ask yeah. him about? Huh. I don't know. Yeah. Like, what do I talk to Questlove about? I don't know. It's so
9: interesting. Him coming from, huh. I, well, you know, obviously the Roots crew is, I think they're aligned with so many of, of our politics. Um, and, and when you just listen to lyrics and just their their whole general vibe, I could, I don't know. Uh, just dig into what he's about, where the music comes from, the personal experiences, um, what kind of things radicalized him. Radicalized them. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. What would you ask them? That's fair.
1: I mean, I, I, I'm not saying I can't do it. I can do it. I just, it, when I'm sitting down thinking like, Oh Lord, I got to get something together this week. Sometimes the easier thing is to say, oh, so-and-so just wrote a book. Let me just read their book and ask them on. Yeah,
9: way easier. The content is clear. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And, and art is so abstract. And and there's also the responding to things like, you know, this row thing where, exactly. that are always going to be coming up that are going to be hot topics. So, yeah, I, I get it. But just something I was throwing out there.
1: No, I'm, I'm totally with you, and I think also people need a break, and culture matters. In fact, this guy I've been hanging out with, he's got a really good record well, collection, and we've been, we were listening, we were listening, uh, I put out this Marvin Gaye. You're cutting out. Oh, sorry. This is my fault. Tell me, I, I, I got tempted to touch, and I opened the, I opened the stream <laughs> on the internet, again, on the computer again, because the, the live chat on my phone stopped uploading. Uh, that's my oh, bad yeah. so uh yeah we were listening to this marvin Gaye record and i was just reflecting on how much more political music used to be like explicitly political and i think that mm-hmm. there is political music now it's just not as popular it's not mainstreamed
9: exactly and that is exactly why i asked that question because i need to know where to find it other people need to know where to find it yeah. there you go
1: Yeah, maybe. And also, I've been, you know, I'm always a little bit worried about what happens listening to music on podcasts and if we're going to get, you know, a cease and desist letter. I I play music on Colin because I feel like
5: Uh
1: it's not on me.
5: (laughs) Yeah, totally.
1: Like, I asked the Colin folks and I was like, okay, this is happening. Tell me not to do it if you don't want me to do it. But it feels like if someone gets in trouble and they want to take the episodes down, that seems a little bit like a Colin legal problem as opposed to a me legal problem. I would be obviously crushed if I had to take down all of my bad faith episodes. So yeah, maybe, maybe Colin is a good space to do some of that content where we, we play a little music and we talk about political tracks and we have artists on to discuss. Maybe there's a little bit more flexibility over here for that.
9: There you go. That sounds wonderful, Bree.
1: All right. Thank you, I appreciate you.
9: Hey, thank you. Appreciate you too, Bree. See you around. All
1: right. Okay, Michelle, I'm coming to you. That's right. I am fully prioritizing avatars that present as women <laughs> for this episode. What's up, Michelle? Unmute yourself. All
10: right. I will come back to you, Michelle in a sorry oh there you go i didn't i hadn't given it permission to like pick up my voice so i apologize for that no worries we Um, we got through what's on your mind tonight i guess i'm just really interested in like even the conversation first off, everything everyone said so far tonight has been like so interesting and i'm like so on board with so much of it and i feel like so much of it is connected to what i'm thinking which is like I guess, looking at the media right now, in terms of the conversations, like, I feel like during the election, when they wanted to, um, sink Bernie by making Elizabeth Warren look good, everyone was really happy to talk about, like, uh, you know, stacking the court, stacking the court, and I went to look for that in conversation today, and it's, like, it's nowhere. It doesn't exist in any of the articles I could find, at least, um, And even being on social media, I feel like I'm I'm getting to see some people's opinions, but it's basically the same. I know you guys talk a lot about the algorithm and like how it's been affected in different ways on Facebook when they went in and basically said, like, you you can't put out political things there. There are limitations on political things feels like it's really affecting what's being seen. And I feel like I'm basically just seeing the same 10, like it's this story that I'm guessing the DNC or like one of those, you know, 98% groups shared. And it's like the only thing you see and you see everyone where you share it. And I it kind of concerns me for what we're actually going to do when this goes through, assuming it's going to go through, like, I'm interested in your thought on like the communication and like how to build networks, not only to try to, to, you know, maybe not change things through the political system at all. Cause that's feeling pretty hopeless, but
5: mm-hmm.
10: whether it's that, or it's, you know, trying to just, you know, come up with some system to be able to help women stuck in these states, I, I'm scared about how we'll be able to do it, I
1: guess. Yeah. So I do think that is definitely, I can see two abortion themed episodes that have got to get done. One about the um, stopgap measures, the mediation measures that people are trying to put together and what can be done to help facilitate, you know, people getting medical care in States that are going to be precluded from getting it. Whether it means figuring out how to get them to a new state, whether it means providing other kinds of state services, whether it means, you know, raising money for transportation, whether it means fighting potential legal bars to going to another state and getting services. Because remember, that's part of the thing, the part of the question of whether or not they're going to criminalize getting an abortion in a state where it's legal. Oh, and Um, the bounties. Yeah. Right. You know, what's going to happen to the doctors? Are they going to be subject to criminal penalties? All of these things, you know, jail time, all of these things. So that's one episode. And uh, another episode is specifically, I want to talk to some folks about how abortion rights have been secured in other countries through protest action. Specifically people raised examples in South America and in Ireland. And so those, those are like, I am completely with you. that Those are conversations that need to be had with people who know a lot more about the options than I do. And I think that that will be good and optimistic and frankly, a lot more uplifting than having just the legal conversation, even though I think the legal conversation is necessary and that there's a sad, sick part of me that I can no longer deny that enjoys the legal conversation. I had to admit this (laughs) to my mom the other day. She was so smug about it. So smug. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I started there, but I I think you're right. That's, that's where the real meat of the conversation is. Right. I mean, that's just like with everything else we're talking about on the left and our opportunities for change. It's just, it's not, it's not going to be through these systems, which are so flawed.
10: Yeah. And I think that there's, I think in terms of, you know, I, I also work in media and, I, I used to do sketches and things like that for TYT. I have like a big following oh, on Oh, oh yeah. Wait, oh, what's your that's, following, that's you Michelle? <laughs> Michelle, what's now, your handle? <laughs> no, it's it's I I did all my sketches through my company Robe Kite. So I had like I have like 22,000 followers on on that on Facebook for like the sketches that I made. I did some stuff like nope. Gun Town for them. But it's The whole thing, like, so I made a sketch about abortion Mm. and I'm only telling this to like kind of like explain some of like what the challenges were in like being able to talk about this. Mm. I think there's a really big challenge also around like Facebook restricting the discussion of social issues is one thing, but like in the process of doing it, I like was trying to like Google, I was in a program that Google was funding and they were like, oh, it's this women's program. It's about women talking about women things. And I pitched the sketch. They loved it. And then all of a sudden they were like, you can't say the word abortion. You can do it, mm. but you can't. And the whole sketch is specifically about that, obviously. Like, that's mm. the subject. So like, I, it got weirder and weirder. And eventually they finally told me I had to make something about women in tech because that's the only thing they want to pay for. They want to pay for, you know, <laughs> women in STEM jobs. That's where the money is. And uh, so, so I did it. But then I ended up funding the other sketch myself. And I was like, well, I have 22,000 followers. Like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just put it on there. They will not serve it to anyone. You can't pay mm-hmm. to serve it to your own audience even. Wait, so because... in, the, in the
1: Facebook paid ads, they preclude,
10: they prohibit you from putting money yes. behind anything with the word abortion in it? political, anything that's considered e- any political or social conversation that could affect elections, but they've approved all of these mainstream groups to do it. And it it's not about elections. It's like about a very directly personal political issue to me as a woman, to any woman. Like I know the people who I made it for would enjoy it. And like it, but it's, it was really kind of a dark moment of realizing like, Oh yeah. Like the way that they've gone in, you know, protecting our elections from Russia or whatever it was that they were doing exactly um, is uh, really limiting, like the ability to have those conversations. And I don't know the general restrictions, but after I had that experience, I was like, I'm going to go look and like, are there podcasts on this subject? Like, where are these things? Who's talking about this? Like, how can I help in some way? And when I went online, like everyone who is doing a podcast on it is it's, it's not on Apple. It's not on, do you know what I mean? Like it's Mm. nothing seems accessible. So I'm really wondering like, if it's a, if it is similar to what I experienced with Google, um, you know, wow, not really horrifying. being,
1: alone. I guess I yeah. never really thought about, I mean, we're getting all these, these stories and dribs and drabs. I confess uh, today's interview um, for Thursday's episode, I interviewed uh, Matt Stoller and we talked about some of this uh, antitrust stuff and we, but we ended up, getting, ended up getting sidetracked and the last like hour of the conversation is us debating. Well, you'll hear it's, it's spicy and it's good. <laughs> and he's a really good sport, but we, oh, I can't what, wait. What, you know, democracy and American exceptionalism and whether or not, you know, some of his China takes are, is it Sinophobia or is the left unwilling to criticize other empires or is it really just that it doesn't want to let America off the hook for its own empire and da da, da. Like we went around and around and it was interesting. But in, in part of the conversation, we were talking about, you know, Elon Musk and the and the disinformation and you know whether or not we should be concerned about the uh, antitrust implications of him owning these platforms and, you know, is it, should we be expecting Elon Musk to save Twitter or do we got to break these things up? But is there also value in there only being one Twitter that everybody's on and should we be treating them like a, like a, like a telecom company that's like neutral and doesn't interfere with the algorithm or should we treat treating them like a as a publisher because they do have these algorithms and da, da, da. So we were talking about all of this stuff and when I hear you talking about, even the discussion of abortion getting shut down, a joke about abortion getting shut down and how that is nowhere a part of this broader conversation that's happening about free speech on the internet, it is really dispiriting. It, it does make me feel like we're just in the tip of the iceberg of understanding all of the ways that we're getting silenced. The story from Ari, on uh, Bernie's um, deputy c- campaign manager, about Facebook oh, yeah. trying to direct the senator's messaging, that yes. that is yeah.
10: hella dystopian. <laughs> no, I, I really agree. And I think I'm like, I'm watching my own Facebook feed, feed me the same story over and over and over again, but not like, I know other people are upset. I know other people must be saying things. But it really wants me to know this story about Amy and, you know, her decision or whatever, you know, it, it just feels, it's like groups like the DNC and DNC linked groups, they are able to do that. And those things yeah. are pushed forward. So I'm really interested to see how that's going to affect the ability to communicate these things. And, you know, they've made changes to the events. I struggled to even find a protest where I was. You guys were talking about mm-hmm. people showing up. But, like, it used to be very easy. And here, it's like you can't, you you can, and I'm I'm pretty sure this is, like, Facebook in general. You can't invite over a certain number of people anymore. Mm. to events like in twitter
1: i mean i know black lives matter national is in disgrace right now but we shouldn't forget how powerful it was as an or twitter wasn't as an organizing tool and how much yeah. i mean the idea of like a hashtagification of a movement is now kind of a joke but things happens people were able to communicate in ferguson in those early yeah. days like let's not forget who knows where you would have been but for that platform and it's not clear to me you know, Musk leased a list of his proposed changes over the weekend, and we talk about him on Thursday's show. But it's not clear to me what the valence of those changes are going to be in terms of their impact on protest. You're right that yeah. I haven't seen as much. I thought it was just me, like, logging off of Facebook because I'm over it and overstimulated yeah, and I can't handle everything.
10: I won't lie. I hadn't been on it in forever, and then this happened, and suddenly I was like, all right, I need to go back Yeah. So I don't – maybe it's Ugh. just
1: my own behavior and yeah. it's not an enormous change on Facebook, but – I, I I don't feel like I'm seeing things that are of relevance to me. It doesn't seem as, like, engaged politically as it used to be. I did used to join groups that I'd see about topics that I cared about and events in my area all the time. And I don't think I've done that in years.
10: Well, I think there – I mean, I know in terms of not being able to comment on any social – it's social issues. That's how they define it, social issues or – political things in terms of anything that you promote yeah in terms of anything that's promoted unless you're one of those insider groups you can't do it so that is definitely factually like not being allowed I got the rejection thing like multiple times but then why they wouldn't like share stuff with your own audience seems to be specifically around you know some of these issues and it is and i do I actually do think that they had made an announcement about the events thing too, and I do feel like it came maybe right right after the Black Lives Matter protest when they started changing some of that some of the rules on that oof oof, yeah, okay, well, I appreciate you calling in, Michelle that's some
1: much needed perspective maybe that's that's good rising fodder if I can get a little bit more information about i mean part of the issue is that like. Again, this is like this reporting issue. I want to report yeah. out exactly what, you know, I want to be interviewing, calling up, talking to people at Facebook, foyering people and trying to get a sense of what actually the rules are and how they've impacted left organizations. Interview more than just Bernie and see what other left organizations have encountered. This as a problem. Are organizations like Planned Parenthood, which are, God bless Bernie, mm-hmm. establishment organizations, are they oh, working yeah. with Facebook and therefore
10: not really perturbed by all of this?
1: Or well, have they been signed to
10: well what happens if they promote Planned Parenthood who doesn't support Medicare for all? Mm. And then we end up with them as the only voice, but these independent mm. clinics and the other places that would are don't have that same, you know, cloud or whatever it is that they're using to determine who's allowed to talk about our social issues.
1: Yeah. Oh, Michelle, 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 you've given given us a lot to think about. Thank you so much for calling in and good luck with your sketch comedy. If you want to put a link to it in here, maybe we can play it in an upcoming show and expand the audience.
10: Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you. These shows are just um, always like the best relief in trying times. Yeah, we need a little levity. We need more than a little levity. <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: Thank you. All right. Thanks, Michelle. All right, Carolina boy, I'm going to try you again, bringing you back up from the depths. Let's see if it works this time. Can you unmute yourself, Carolina boy? Don't make me serenade you with a little James Taylor. Can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Carolina boy. What's on oh your God, mind? Brie.
6: Thank you. Thank you so much for coming back to me. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to say, um, and well, I wanted to talk to you something a little off-talking because it's something that I feel kind of strongly about. Um, I saw your title for the last um, episode that you did that was talking about the, the Red-Brown Alliance. Mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't get a chance to listen over it, but were, were you talking about it, like, in the sense of, like, this new sort of um, alignment that we, we see happening with so-called right-wing populists and uh, and leftists, like, that, like, were like, Bernie supporters, people on our side, like, uh, merging together? Is that what you were talking about?
1: Mostly, Carolina boy, I confess that I was just being a sassy minx. Uh, because I was talking to a conservative professor at Brown University, and I am mm-hmm. a socialist in a red sort of a way, and we're both brown people. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, and I was basically just doing color puns. And also because, you know, he's a conservative and I'm what I, you know, I'm a progressive, a leftist. But there were also things that we agree on and we have a very cordial relationship. I really appreciate him. He and his wife were so gracious to me when I was visiting Brown, his wife, is a Bernie bro who listens to Bad Faith Podcast. So, I mean, it was quite literally a red, brown, university, brown, people, (laughs) alliance. I have too much fun with the titles. I confess. They don't always land.
6: Oh, okay. No. Well, it's funny because um, Ben Burgess, uh, he did a call the other day that was like kind of talking about this uh, topic, like the actual Mm -hmm. red, brown, alliance topic. You're mm-hmm. talking about this J.D. Vance guy up in mm-hmm. Ohio, who's um, a real fake populist. Mm-hmm. But um, the the thing that I was talking to Ben about, and, and like I I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, so, sort of my perspective being uh, a southerner here in, in in the you know in the rural South, lived here pretty much my whole life, and um, and I speak to a lot of working class um, the people out here. I mean, that's that's who I live and I'm, I'm surrounded by, and I am, like, the only leftist out here, essentially, and I feel like there's been a lot of talk lately amongst us about how, if we could focus on economic populist issues, we could attract uh, a lot of those people to come to our side and, and, and to vote for for the left, but at least, like, in my experience, what I see for all of them is um, all of these culture war issues that we see going on, like, about the like, don't say gay, gay bill in Florida, or even if it is about abortion or about, you know, being anti, anti-racism, you, you, like, you know, you, you can't be anti-racism and you have to be like anti-woke and like all those things. Like mm-hmm. that is their litmus test in order to get their support. But mm-hmm. it seems to me for the left, like our litmus test has always been economic populism and issues like that. And I'm, I'm getting worried because I, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of, People on like the populist left that look at you know the both the Democrats and the Republicans say, well, the Democrats they're not economic populists at all. We know that, and then they're um, and and all these cultural issues we don't like the way that they're going. Uh, but the Republicans they're trying to like sound populist on on cultural issues, mm-hmm. and so that that th- 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 it seems like they're sort of passively endorsing the Republicans being slightly better because they have the, um, they have this, this yeah, they're, they're trying to like frame populism in, like this cultural sense. And mm-hmm. and I see that as like turning a bunch of leftists to these, uh, to some of these really insane far right wing candidates. Um, what do you think?
1: So, yeah, I'm, I got to confess, I'm getting a little nervous. And uh, th-
6: th- this this
1: podcast, by the way, is where you get all the scoops where I tell you all of my business that I probably should I should not scoop myself, but I'm working on a panel right now of people to talk about that Tucker Carlson article that came out a few days ago. You know what I'm I'm talking about?
6: I I didn't read it, but I heard about it. The one in the New York Times.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like a million words, like 20,000 words or whatever. Yeah. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I'm afraid that the observations that you're observing are accurate because <laughs> <laughs> i'm seeing it too i feel it like when i talk about how it feels to be on rising which again amazing opportunity i'm i don't i mean, don't mean to be down on it but mm-hmm. the feeling the pressure that i feel not from anybody who works there or any on the staff or anybody who they're all very lovely but the pressure that i feel basically from reading the comments which again i shouldn't do is yeah. that the, there is that litmus test that you described and if i if i You know, say something supportive of a trans person or say that I don't think it's absurd to talk about the fact that there is a sexuality spectrum and acknowledge that some students' parents have same-sex parents. Or if I say that, although CRT isn't being taught in school, that it's a legitimate academic discipline and absolutely is a benefit to society. Like if I say anything like that, if I say Mm -hmm. racism is real, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I say there's a thing called systemic racism – then I will lose all credibility with a certain audience. And that, okay. is, that feels like a new kind of a place to be in. Before, I got credibility by pointing out certain excesses of the left, which I still think exist, the weaponization of identity. But things have yeah. moved to a place where it feels like the acknowledgement of cultural groups, the acknowledgement of disparity, the acknowledgement that there might be any lingering economic effect of Jim Crow having ended during my mother's lifetime. Like any, any acknowledgement of any of that means that you're like a woke scold who yeah. wants people to have original sin and white people all need to repent and put a hair shirt on and self and And that's, that's the lingo people use to talk about anybody who even mentions some bare realities of the world. And that, I don't know what to do with that because I cannot, I cannot hold my tongue on some of this stuff and in doing so, it makes me feel like I'm part of the problem.
6: Yeah, and about, like, uh, thank you so much for saying that. And, and I pray that you, like, stay principled on, like, not backing down on any of this. Because one of one of the issues that I see with it, it's it seems to me like it's mainly uh, pernicious in the alternative independent media space. Mm-hmm. And the more that I think about it is, People like the audience that looks to alternative independent media, I feel like they are going to generally lean more right. They're going to think that, you know, the mainstream media is, you know, left wing, which I mean, you know, on a lot of cultural issues like mm-hmm. sure they are economically, not really. Um And so, like, in general, I feel like the audience is is already like somewhat of more, more of a right wing audience. And so there are a handful of leftists I'm going to try to, you know, hold myself from from Naaman that I feel like have picked up on this. And so essentially they've tried to really cater to those sort of feelings so they can draw from that. So they can draw from those right wingers into their audience Mm -hmm. um, by try to frame some of these issues as if they're, um, try to, or try to frame essentially like Tucker Carlson type of positions as if they're left-wing positions. You, You know what I'm saying? And like rationalize things and, in like ridiculous ways. Like, um, there, there was, you know, there was one YouTuber, um, a pretty big leftist out there who I used to like, but I really don't anymore. I had a video the other day talking about how, uh, DeSantis, uh, had, uh, uh like praising him because he had said that he was going to stand up to Biden's ministry of truth thing that disinformation board weird thing that Biden's doing okay like sure that's fine but him and like the whole comment section was like talking about yeah like saying he's the real free speech warrior and i'm like you all don't remember when he like passed this uh, law to like end peaceful protests because he didn't want black lives matter uh people protesting in his state and mm-hmm. everything like that and he's trying to selectively enforce it he like let cubans like break all, of the, uh, all of the violations of, of that law when they protested last summer. But, um, but he, he was essentially doing it, trying to scare off peaceful protesters and put them in jail and stuff like that. And, and like how he's trying to like rewrite education curriculum because he doesn't want, you know, it, like it, it, it doesn't like, I, I, it seems to me they're trying to rationalize these things in order for right wing feelings. And mm-hmm. I just think that the incentives there with like the alternative independent media space, you know, your view count and your income depends on your ability to, like, build this audience base. And if it's a more right-wing audience base, you have to come up with a way to, to appeal to them. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so the low-hanging fruit, the thing that it's, it feels okay to compromise on for trying to agree with a sensible <laughs> right populist, is identity stuff. Yeah. And, like, I, 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 I don't know. Like, I'm having all of these weird ethical feelings. I, I Like, I— People accused me, right, like of being the Candace Owens at the left, and I thought that was absurd oh. because obviously my politics are opposite to hers. But there is a, there is an argument but that by even not emphasizing as much as I could have some issues around race and particular identity, that I had left the door open to people feeling like it was okay to make fun of various identity groups or pretend like their problems don't exist or that they shouldn't at all matter. Not a conversation about whether or not they should be – You know, my my critique has always been that these issues are being weaponized by various political parties to distract from issues that are not so polarizing. But just because someone is weaponizing an issue doesn't mean that it's not at its core legitimate. You know, and that's what has gotten so many liberals over time mad at me because they think I'm saying, like, racism isn't real. Obviously, that's not the case. I'm saying it's being weaponized and that Jim Clyburn's blackness shouldn't shield him from criticism. Right. You know, but at the same time, I don't want that to be taken as an excuse for somebody to say, you know, black, there's no, pro, there's no racial disparity problem. There's no, you know, there's not a, a crisis afoot. There's not, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know, man. Because I'm sitting there in the chair and there'll, there'll be like, you know, 10 moments that I could say something about in any given broadcast. Do I say something at one of those moments? Do I save it up? Do I say something every single time and have everybody mad at me because I'm the liberal scold you know, like, that is the position that I feel it, like, I'm in often, increasingly, in a way that I, I, I don't know if this is new or if I'm in new contexts, but I, I agree yeah. with you.
6: I feel it. I mean, you know, me personally, I, I love to see you stand your ground on, uh, you know, on your show, like, discussing, you know, these issues and stuff, but, but, like, I, I get how, like, you know, it, they they have you, like, in a, in a tough position with, um, with all of this, but, you know, I think I am generally like more worried about like the electoral implication of implications of this mm. because um, I don't I don't know how much like you know these alternative media like how, how much like actual like electoral or political influence they have, but um, I know that uh, it, like I, I feel like there are going to be a lot of leftists that are going to come around to like try to see like rationalize. People like the J.D. Vance guy or DeSantis or uh, whoever else is being like actual populace and stuff like that. I mean, we, we are seeing it happening right now with uh, with uh, Tulsi. I mean, Tulsi, we know she's going to openly campaign for, for whoever DeSantis in 2024 or, or stuff like that. I mean, she, that, that ship has completely sailed. But um, like, I'm, I'm wondering if there's going to be more people uh, with that uh i i don't see like just anecdotally like working class voters that i speak to um you know these these culture war issues are what they eat up and so uh like it seems to me like this this is like creating a good environment for those types to to really get into a lot of power
1: yeah yeah dude like in covid we haven't even touched covid
6: Oh yeah.
1: No, What's no been one. crazy to me is watch the same is watching the same people who are, you know, okay. I'm a am libertarian socialist. I don't like the idea of mandates. I, I don't like the idea of a mandate. I do like the idea of COVID protocol, <laughs> that you yeah. offer people carrots to do it because they want to do it because mm-hmm. they want to keep themselves safe. I like people having the option to stay home. I like because they're paid money to do so. I like people having the option to mask because they are given, sent free masks to their houses and free groceries and all of the things that enable people to keep themselves safe in the middle of pandemic. But I am skeptical of mandates. That being said, it's being, it's really weird to watch the same people who are not just anti mandate, but like who are anti mask wearing, who like say that none of the stuff works also, like really relish the idea of there being a super spreader event at the, at the, um, yeah, what do you call it? The, frickin, the gala it?
6: or the, um, the, no, no, the correspondence,
1: dinner. correspondence center. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, I agree that it's ridiculous that Biden is basically saying COVID is over. And there's a super spreader event among all these elites. Like I'm with you. I'm a, with you and making fun of that, but it's consistent for me to make fun of it because I am pro
5: masking <laughs> <Like, Yeah.
1: laughs> I am pro the, the, the pandemic is obviously not over there are people who can get it and nothing happens to them great kudos great if you're healthy there's people who are still at risk and I want them to be safe and be able to protect themselves but it's inconsistent like there's no acknowledgement that all of these people are getting COVID now, I don't know what's going on in your life but everybody I know is getting COVID oh. I, had, I lost a guest this week because they got COVID my producer has COVID like everyone has COVID right now
5: Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, inconsistent
1: no. with the people who are saying, like, well, which is it? It's it's COVID really still going, and so Biden is lying. I agree with that. Or and if it's still going, then why are you so against any effort to try to mitigate the spread of it? I I just I don't get it. And yeah. so this is become. So I think that the left could be could be owning this issue and saying, screw Biden. They're following the big business interests. This is they're not out to protect us. They could be taking the anti-establishment line on covid from the left anti-pharma they're trying to make money off of us Mm -hmm. they should COVID the vaccine should be free all of that should be a left position but instead it's Mm -hmm. this really weird inconsistent libertarian position that is really helping the right Mm -hmm. win the culture
6: wars and elections yeah yeah exactly um gosh and you know i i just i just see a lot of I see. A, I just, with all of this, I just see so much working backwards from your conclusions, um, to to try to rationalize things and like frame it as if like they are leftist arguments. But, um, you know, yeah, with, with COVID especially, because um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people that are doing like this uh vaccine hesitant tap dance now, they were like at the beginning of it like trying to say like, we need to get these vaccines developed quick and like get them out for free. They were like criticizing anyone who was saying that the vaccines weren't going to be a hundred percent free. And uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, like when we had nothing like, you know, mm-hmm. like all, all of this is, has changed a lot since, mm-hmm. um sin, since it uh, has started. And nobody, I feel like no one knew in the beginning how all of this is going to unfold. So um, a lot of people have, have really shifted because they're, they didn't know like how, how the politics on this was, uh was going to play out. And,
3: mm-hmm.
6: um, it's 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 unfortunate. Yeah, you know, it became a culture war that that you know, the rights winning because that's what we always say. We always say the left, like any left leaders or politicians, they need to stay out of the culture wars if, if we're gonna like be able to come back to the powers. But it seems to me like for the right, they like the cultural war is like their um it, it's it's a benefit for them. They mm-hmm. they need to fight the cultural wars in, in order to win. So, um it's it's hard for me to like see how we can um you know when like some of these you know working class voters that we need um so yeah Yeah, i'm
1: starting to believe and i'm just workshopping this but i'm starting to believe i mean this is not something that can be ignored or like pivoted back to an economic issue there has to be an alternative narrative on the culture stuff from the left is what i'm beginning to believe and Mm -hmm. i don't know what that's going to look like but it's something that we should be continuing to have a conversation about i'm glad you were able to come back carolina boyd um, this has been interesting and productive, and I appreciate you
6: calling in. Yeah, no, it was great. Thank you for coming back to me. I uh, love your show. Please keep doing it, and I'll, uh, I'll try to be out in another episode. So thank you. Have a good night.
1: Thank you. Have a good night. I'm going to go to Terry at the, at the end of the line for gender parity reasons and because we are talking about abortion. Um, how are you, Terry? Unmute uh, yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Terry, I know I probably caught you off guard. Okay, I'm going to go to Rika, and if you get it together, then I'll come back to you in a second. How are you doing, Rika?
11: Hey, Bree, How are you?
1: I'm doing quite well. I've perked up. I was feeling a little sluggish at the beginning of this, <laughs> but I've rallied. Yes. Yes.
11: Just stay on long enough and we'll just get y'all motivated. That's what what we're here for. Um, I, so got to give you the flowers for last week on rising girl that I roll at Robbie, when he said birthing people was amazing. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I, so one of the things I just wanted to comment a little bit on the questions at hand here, which is, Mm. or one of them was, should we, protest this question of should we protest uh, supreme court justices outside their house and absolutely absolutely like i don't under, i i guess i i feel like i if voting rights are being gutted voting doesn't work legislation doesn't work um having si- like quote-unquote civil dialogue doesn't work <laughs> like mm-hmm. What else do you have left? What else do you have left? You know? So, like, yeah, go ahead. And I feel like I don't understand where, I guess I'm, I really struggle with this whole idea of, like, protesting in the right kind of way, being sanctioned. Like, I, it, like that is so clearly a line that's being fed um, to us by people who are in power who want us to behave that's all it is. It's a disciplining tool. And so I'm like, I, I I really don't understand. I understand like asking questions about strategy and around like, Mm -hmm. is this the time where we want to do it? Like, you know, like right now or with this person or whatever, that's a different conversation, but like trying to say no protesting of anybody or like even, even like tone policing it. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> like truly I can't yeah. with that. Like we need, we need as much disruption as possible. So, um, and like, yeah, like what, what in our world has moved or changed without that kind of shit? Like truly like,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm looking as you're talking, I was scrolling the feed and there's this video of people outside of Kavanaugh's house. It looks like twilight a couple days ago. And it looks like the, his neighbors. I, I, in fact, I saw a tweet where someone, w- some counter was like, leave him alone. You're disturbing the neighbors. Like, this isn't this isn't so simple. What? What, what about the other people in the community? And so people in the crowd were like, we are his neighbors. I live next door. <laughs> like, screw this guy. And, you know, you love to see that. Uh, yes. and, so, you know, I, and this looks, honestly, this looks like, you know, So civil. I mean, these are like, these people are like kindergarten teachers standing here (laughs) protesting. This is not an Antifa situation. This is not, I mean, like, look, anything could escalate and anything could happen. And if we were having a different conversation, I mean, you know, I don't want, I mean, I'm sure these people have kids and stuff. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wanting harm to befall people and their families who are innocent bystanders and all of this. But if we're at this level where we're tone policing, when nothing is happening except for a bunch of,
11: I think you, Oh,
1: oh, I'm, I'm in and out. Yeah. I don't, I, well, I don't have the window open this time. Okay. So I'm not, I don't know what to do about it, but let me know if it's still happening. Okay. We'll do. Okay. But yeah, if if we're at this level of tone policing and like nothing's even happening yet, you're right. It's like this (laughs) tacit admission That, like, we want you to do nothing. We want there to be no consequences. and We want you to do absolutely nothing and sit down and take it. And they're funneling people back into the voting. If you don't like it, then vote. And it's becoming increasingly obvious that voting is the deflationary tactic Mm
5: -hmm.
11: for
1: public Mm -hmm. ire.
11: Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I just don't. I mean I'm not the person that's going to be here saying don't vote because again it's a system of power like if that's how we want to participate in changing that power like let's do it but I'm also just like I don't know I guess I'm I also feel like th- we live in a violent system <laughs> every day like yeah. you know for a lot of us and I don't understand this idea that like holding up a sign outside screaming is somehow (laughs) equivalent to some of
5: the shit that we experience.
11: I just don't, just don't get it. But, um, the other, the one thing that I wanted to also comment on and also get kind of your take on this is, and it's really actually related to what the, um, last caller was saying, which is, um, the way that people keep, um, Kind of like the the ideas around culture wars and what's considered a culture war and what's not. I'm really having a difficult time appreciating anyone who calls like abortion a culture war issue. Mm. I get I get how it can be if we're talking mm. about beliefs and morality, right? And in that mm-hmm. sense, it literally is a culture war then, right? Because if you, it's about what you believe in, right, and that to some extent, but we're talking about, like, like when I hear leftists say, like, I don't want to, I didn't want to talk about this culture war issue, and now I have to. It's like, this is literally about people's bodies. Mm-hmm. Literally about, like, and and it kind of also frustrates me when this gets brought up around trans issues as well, because a lot of the, there I forget what state just passed a law banning, like, gender affirming care for young trans people, mm-hmm. right?
5: Mm-hmm. Like,
11: this, we're talking about our physical lives, and our mental health, our physical well-being, those are our material conditions, the left cannot dismiss and say, oh, that's just a culture war issue. Like, no, that materially yeah. impacts our lives. We There has to be a better response to that. And so, like, when, like, and to me, the culture war is whether or not you want to say birthing people or not. That's the culture war for me. Mm. Like, I, if you are hung up on that being an issue, like, Robbie, um, <laughs> like, like, okay, that, that, that's fine. But the issue at hand is not whether or not you say birthing people or not. Yeah. yeah, It's about whether or not that person that we're referring to, which are trans men, or we're trying to include in this conversation, which are trans men, are they going to be able to take care of themselves along with all the other cis women? Right. And I'm just, I really would just like to see more people like they don't have to get bent out of shape all day long uh, in combating everyone on these, on these issues. Right. You always have to pick and choose your battles, but like, let's just not act like they're not important and they don't affect our lives.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It's like the picking and choosing is increasingly sa- feeling. It feels to me like betrayals. If I don't yeah. pick everyone, I'm feeling it. Because when I'm by myself, when I or on my podcast, or when I was on the context of the Bernie campaign, I wasn't in situations often where I was constantly being challenged to agree with someone else's more conservative take on a culture war thing. If I thought that something right. shouldn't be the priority, I simply didn't bring it up and it wasn't an issue. Right. right. Like if, if I wanted to prioritize, you know, universal healthcare, meaning that gender affirming surgery was available to everybody for free, then that's the mm-hmm. part that I could talk about. Cause that was the meaningful part. And I didn't have to get into burning people right now to not to intentionally sidestep the issue because I still feel like it's not what the aspect of the fight I would want to prioritize. It feels like betraying something bigger. Like I'm admitting to something bigger. Like I don't care about like, like what it like truly what is the joke? Why are we talking about it? It, uh, Robbie, were you, you know, and I'm not, I don't mean to like harp on Robbie. Like it's not just about him, but you know, were you somewhere talking to a trans man and it really like offended you? that he was talking about his pregnancy like what what happened to you who hurt you tell me where they hurt you like why is this an issue I I don't know maybe I'm not sufficiently worldly I personally have never met a pregnant trans man but I expect that if that does happen it's not gonna feel like such a terrible thing to just to refer to them in their pregnancy and to still use the pronouns that they prefer like I just don't see it as being it just does not occupy any space in my brain. <laughs>
5: right. Like, Oh, what's going to happen <laughs> when, right. I,
1: when I, when I'm at, at, when I'm at brunch and one of my friends brings their friend and he, and, he, and he's a pregnant trans man. Like, I just don't. So I don't know. Like I'm, I'm really, str- I'm really struggling with what that means. Cause the other example I will bring up is that, and he's told this on the podcast and I've heard him tell it in other contexts, been jealous talks about how, when he was on the Bernie campaign in 2016, and Bernie's doing his little spiel, talking about all the different things that he cares about. And he's like, Medicare for all, $15 wage, the hits that play everywhere. And then he goes into some of the issues, like the identity issues, Black Lives Matter, women's rights, abortion, etc. And Ben Jealous says he cringed, like he like got, like seized up tight, nervous The first time he heard Bernie go through that speech in a rural, wider part of the country, because he anticipated that when he got to Black Lives Matter, it wouldn't be the same chorus of cheers that he was getting in Massachusetts, that he was going to, that the crowd was going to go quiet. And he was like dreading an anticipation of this moment. And then what ended up happening is when the moment came, people almost cheered louder, he said, and then he was embarrassed that he that he didn't have confidence in the agenda and that people would want to support each other. And the takeaway mm, that I got mm, from that mm. was is that people don't give a shit if you're talking about giving something to somebody else if you've also talked about giving something to them. Like, they yeah. see it all. When you're talking about all the stuff together and you're like... And you get Medicare for all, and you get a $15 minimum wage, and you get medical dance, debt cancellation, and you get gender-affirming surgery, and you get police reform, and you get – everyone's happy because it's like, yes, me, us. Not me, us. <laughs> like, yes. It's, yes. It's, it's when we're only yes. like bifurcating stuff up that people are like, oh, well, you're getting student debt cancellation, and I'm not getting student debt cancellation. This whole conversation wouldn't be happening in a world where Bernie was president because everyone would be getting such so much shit <laughs> that nobody would have time to be feeling like they got screwed. And nobody right. would be having time to feel like we're prioritizing somebody else's issues. And like, you know, the white America's in decline and great replacement and opioid crisis and what doesn't anybody care about us? Cause we'd be caring about them. We'd be openly vocally talking about how Medicare for all is going also going to support all these people who've gotten an opioid addicted by these horrible pharmaceutical companies. And Bernie would be thrashing those pharmaceutical companies too.
11: Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: So, I mean, to
11: me I, like if i'm currently in an area where i'm around a bunch of quote unquote working white class white people right mm-hmm. and i'm existing and i'm having conversations with them I, you know i'm probably one of the very first like trans people that they've ever met you know and like it 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 doesn't it, i i feel like part of why there is this hesitation to want to bring up these quote-unquote identity issues I hate that term but let's go with it um they they don't have a lot of them it's they're abstractions Mm -hmm. for people Mm -hmm. right like it is just like they don't know a lot of people or they're only reference to it is you know laverne cox or whatever it is right mm. like they don't they don't have you were being connection. way too
1: kind rika these people don't know who laverne cox is <laughs> well i mean you know you know netflix like, that's true that's true.
11: okay but you know these people like,
1: aren't watching I mean, oranges and new black <laughs> maybe,
11: maybe we should start there right yeah but no i i i don't know like i guess i'm just saying that they're they this sounds so simple but they don't have relationships with a lot of the people that the right is making kind of this like, um, boogeyman out of, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and that is what makes them susceptible to kind of the more, um, what people like to call common. And I don't agree with this characterization, but the common everyday man of like Joe Rogany types, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Who seemingly sound like uh, they're making sense um, because they're reflecting their worldview right back to them, right? And come up then with like these ideologies and these speakers who like purport certain ideologies that then make sense. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, this fits like this, this makes sense. Oh, that's horrible. What's happening to kids, you know, like whatever it is, right? Like, and, Mm -hmm. and so. I, but I, I don't think the answer is like, obviously, we're not I don't I'm not interested in like policing language over, um, you know, like actually having a real sub- conversation around substance, right? So mm-hmm. like, I think that's the problem is like, it's not let's not abandon these culture word issues, quote unquote, and engaging on them. Uh, because they're too difficult. Let's get in them, but let's be like clear eyed about who we're talking to when we're talking to them. And yeah, we don't have to do them all the time and do it, you know, with everyone at every moment. But like, don't we don't need like, um, I, I just think it's a failure for in the work of organizing and acting as political actors to, to not to let the right speak to those people and frame mm-hmm. us as the monsters and the obscene ones. Cause we're really not right. Like we're really yeah. like at the end of the day, we are out here trying to live just like them. And um, Twitter is not reflective and Twitter responses are not necessarily reflective of how we're trying to get by.
1: I think you really helped me to crystallize what I think is so toxic about the kind of just hold your tongue approach on the culture stuff that I admit that I've been taking in part until recently. It's that there's an enormous amount of power in confronting someone who makes, wants to make a flippant joke about birthing persons to force them to, you know, you're a scold, whatever, but forcing, forcing someone to explain the joke forces them to confront the reality of the human beings in question. And glossing over all of these things, you know, it allows people to continue to dehumanize groups that are already suffering from that issue. And I was thinking about someone in the chat mentioned this while you were talking that there was, I forget what state was in North Dakota where they, there was some law criminalized or, you know, banning trans girls in sports in high Mm -hmm. school. And it was all about like, there was only like one trans girl in the state and all the community came together against the law and to defend the little girl because everyone knew who this was about and it was so obviously toxic and aggressive to to go after some random 12 year old you know that everybody can see how wrong that is you know because it was personalized because it was about this one little girl and i don't know like i i i'm i gotta give this a lot of thought and i'm feeling a little sick to my stomach about some of the Ways that I thought we could kind of scoop past this in the context of a Bernie era, but maybe we've we've allowed like people like myself have allowed it to get a lot more insidious by not making people confront oh. what it is that they, you know, what it is that they're avoiding. I don't know. I don't know.
11: I don't know. I, I, I mean, I I really think it's beautiful that you're able to be this vulnerable on a platform like this and, and taking, but the, you can't assume all of that responsibility.
1: Well, no, I'm not, yeah, you I know, mean. Like, like, <laughs>
11: Jesus Christ, but I feel like, I, I do feel like um there, so, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I have my own critiques around gay marriage, but, you know, there was like a whole campaign in Minnesota because they were at one point going to uh, I think there was going to introduce like a constitutional state, constitutional amendment to like um, make marriage between a man and a woman in Minnesota. And mm-hmm. so there was this whole like campaign that was organized um, across the state around it. And they like changed the tide on it, completely changed the tide on it. It was going to go. And then it was like a swift kick in the ass. Um, and they, if you talk to anyone that worked on a campaign the, the tactics that they used were having real ass people, having real ass conversations with each other about the, either them with them being gay or like literally people that they knew and getting down to it being like, this is how this is going to literally impact X person that you know, this person that you know, my cousin, brother, me,
5: mm-hmm.
11: like, and this is all that we want. Like, how do you feel about that? And, like, that conversation brought people to tears. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, it brought people. And, like, you know, obviously, that's talking with everyday people who aren't in the political apparatus. And that isn't going to work with everyone. But, and, you know, some people are going to reject, like, sob stories, quote, unquote. I don't think that's a sob story, but I think Mm -hmm. what, you're trying to articulate what I think is really important is being like, let's let's think about this like w- these real human stories about how these issues are impacting real people's lives, not just like avatars of like you know people with quote unquote pink hair who use they them pronouns and don't like the gender binary like that that's they think of that as like who this quote-unquote this movement around our rights is about and
1: i that's mean not i liked case. michelle's pink hair <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i thought it looked My cute <laughs> <laughs> look i appreciate you so much for calling in and for being so gracious as always and you know grounding us um I feel the same way about all of you this community really means a lot to me as you can tell i'd be workshopping things here
5: (laughs) and i should give you you all producer credit (laughs) sorry
11: well you mean a lot to us i think your your voice in this moment is like what Ja said was just i you know like i know we're all seeing you on rising we're all watching you doing the work that you do and you and we know that you solely can't represent the entire left but you do an amazing job representing I think a lot of people who are right there with you on on the issues so appreciate all that you're doing
1: well thank you I'll try not to disappoint and to that end let me take my butt bed word let me get us a a song (laughs) queued up we're talking about culture and I gotta play us out with a little bit of culture club (laughs) I appreciate all of you who listen to this week's episode i hope to you all tune in on thursday we we get into it i appreciate matt stoller and all of the kind of pugnacious types who will go back and forth with me um i will see you tomorrow Brian, Or early on rising get in there and put some comments <laughs> put some comments up top so it's not all people hating on me thank you guys for encouraging me to keep doing it i i think i'm going to that is the plan i appreciate your support we'll see how it goes at least for the next few months